This is the tale of a Thanksgiving feast filled with turkey and yams and weight that increased, and with laughter and cousins and an aunt who danced, whose husband we all knew as Uncle Grumpy Pants. Dear Uncle Grumpy was known far and wide for the sneer in his smile and the thorn in his side. Nothing much pleased him, it all made him cross. What caused others to laugh, Grumpy counted as loss. But Thanksgiving Day was his worst day by far. He insulted the dip, said it tasted like tar. His chair was too hard, his pants were too tight. He started at daybreak, continued tonight. The parade was a bore, the game too lackluster, and the dinner, of course, would never pass muster. The rolls were too hard, the gravy too lumpy, our annual tirade from our old Uncle Grumpy. The turkey's too dry, cranberries too soggy, the steam from the beans made his glasses go foggy. But worse than the food, oh, the relations he kept. We were stupid and lazy and at best inept. He loved to hold court and give sway his opinions as if he were king and we were his minions. He prattled and rattled, not pausing to chew, assuming we hung on each word he would spew. But one year something happened in the middle of a rant that shocked both the socks off of old grumpy pants. The smallest of all, a niece who was three, got up from the table and begged to be free. Then my brother stood up. Then old Grandma Hallie, they left to break bread in the back by the alley. Then nephews and sisters and cousins as one grabbed their plates and walked out in an impromptu group shun. Our uncle was left all alone at the table, spouting his views to one snoring Aunt Mabel. As he pontificated to none but himself, his volume had dropped from eleven to stealth. We, meanwhile, sat down on the ground in the back by the rickety tool shed and the rusted-out rack. We balanced our plates on our knees by the trees and passed around cornbread and muffins and peas and talked of our lives and how grateful we were, how God had provided for each madam and sir and laughed at our tails till our sides came to ache, then dug into pumpkin pie, cookies, and cake. But then the littlest niece surprised us again. She walked up to the door and yelled over the din. She called for old Grumpy with a lisp and a sigh. You're welcome to join us if you weave your grumpies inside. A few minutes later, the door opened a bit and we braced ourselves for a grumpy pants fit. But he and Aunt Mabel came out and sat on the lawn. He buttoned his lip, she stifled a yawn. And for the first time in memory, he listened to us while we talked of pilgrims, pageants, and missing the bus. And as our shadows grew long and light started to slip, I could have sworn that a smile passed over his lips. The wind chilled our bones. We saw our breath in the air. The leaves caught in our hair, but we just didn't care. We hugged and we cried and our aunt made us dance. Our first Thanksgiving with our uncle without his grumpy pants. All right, so quick show of hands. All right, Uncle Grubby Pants, please raise your hand. No? How about if you're sitting next to Uncle Grubby Pants? You guys are so... Oh, I got one, two. All right, that's more than we had in the first service. If Aunt Mabel is sitting next to you and she decides to snore off, I'm kind of torn because maybe she needs that. Maybe that's what she needs this morning. But maybe gently nudge her and just wake her up. But uh, it's a privilege, a pleasure to be with you this morning. Again, my name is Mike Morgan. I am the Senior Director of Caring Ministries here at Bel Air Prez. 
And this morning we're going to be walking through this rhythm of reflection, hopefully to guide us into this place of gratitude. And before we get there, let's pray. Lord God, we are here in your presence. We came this morning because we want to hear from you. We want to be moved by you. We want your spirit to meet us in the deepest places of our soul and to shape us into people who are grateful. God, give us ears to hear and minds to understand. God, free my tongue. Make my mind sharp so I can communicate your word. We look forward to what it is that you have to say to us today. Amen. Well, we're going to be looking at the book of Hebrews. So if you brought your Bibles, turn to the book of Hebrews. If not, we have these Red Pew Bibles, so you can grab one of those. And I even found the page number for you. Yes, I'm that nice of a, of a guy. Page 972. 972. Hebrews chapter 3. Hebrews chapter 3, verses 7 through 14. 972. Here we go. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion, as on the day of testing in the wilderness, where your ancestors put me to the test, though they had seen my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was angry with that generation, and I said, they always go astray in their hearts. They have not known my ways. As in my anger, I swore, they will not enter my rest. Take care, brothers and sisters, that none of you may have an evil, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God, but exhort one another every day as long as it is called today so that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partners of Christ, if only we hold our first confidence firm to the end. This is the word of the Lord. Well, a phrase I heard on the radio really caught my attention recently. It's, um, I believe it really has a pulse, you know, on uh, the cadence of our culture. Now, I'm Assuming you know the company Microsoft, right? You guys know? Now, Microsoft isn't necessarily known for leading the way in creativity, but what they are known for is for productivity and efficiency. And their slogan is what really caught my attention, their catchphrase. Are you ready? Get stuff done. Get stuff done. Now, their vision is that for their Microsoft platform to be on every desktop, laptop, tablet, and handheld device so that I can get stuff done anywhere, anytime, with anyone. Now, there's, I don't have anything against Microsoft, but I believe that this feeds into a lie that you and I have bought into. And that lie is that you are what you do. That your identity is all wrapped up in what you do. In fact, what you do is what makes your life significant. 
because doing in our culture is our highest value. So Microsoft is not creating this value. They're simply reflecting a value that we already have. And they're not the only ones, are they? They're not the only company that has this pulse on our culture. I mean, think about it. Nike, right? What's their slogan? Just do it. Yeah, okay. You guys remember the Energizer battery slogan? It's a bunny and just, just keeps going and going. Yeah? Right? Well, you are not the Energizer battery. You're not a robot. You're not a computer. And you can't just keep going and going and going. Yet we live in a society that values productivity and progress as number one. We're always striving. We're thinking to ourselves, what must I do to get the thing that I don't have? We're never satisfied with where we are. In fact, we're often distracted by where we could be. And we're living frustrated lives because we've never seemed to arrive. There's always more that we could do. There's always more that could get done. The possibilities are endless, we say. If we just had one more hour in the day, if we just had one more day in the week, imagine all the stuff that we could get done. Yet our pursuit of happiness, right? Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Our pursuit of happiness is being squeezed out by trying to fit it all in. And now this week, we'll find ourselves at the Thanksgiving table. It's a holiday that's meant for gratitude, a time to reflect on what we have, right? To remember past memories and maybe maybe to create some new ones. It's a time to focus on what you have rather than on what you lack. And it's, it's a holiday that's completely antithetical to the highest value of our culture. So it's no wonder, it's no wonder why we find it so hard to be present, to disconnect, to unplug, and to rest. I believe it's because we've bought into this lie that rest is not essential. It's either a waste of time or it's a luxury that we can't afford. So today I want to set aside some time. I want to set aside some time for us to rest and reflect and in light of Thanksgiving, really, truly remember what it is that we're grateful for. And in order to do this, we're going to be looking at the book of Hebrews. So the book of Hebrews was written to the early church, and at the time, the early church was made up largely of Jewish believers. And so the author is referencing the Israelite ancestors in order to make a point. See, their Jewish background meant that they were really familiar with the Torah, or the first five books of the Old Testament. They were familiar with the stories, the characters, the plot, the setting, and perhaps one of the number one stories of all time was the Exodus narrative. Just in case you're unfamiliar with this story, I'm going to give you the Cliff Notes version. You ready? Here we go. Israel was enslaved in Egypt under Pharaoh for over 400 years, forced to work slave labor night and day, literally being worked to death. If you don't know the story, for some of you, you might be able to think um, the Ten Commandments with Charlton Heston, right? Or DreamWorks, Prince of Egypt. Or if you've seen any of the humongous billboards with this large wave, we have this new, coming December 12th, right? Christian Bale's going to be Moses in Exodus. I mean, I'm so pumped. 
It's going to be literally epic. No pun intended. Uh, remember Moses. Remember the plagues. What was Moses' famous line? Pharaoh, let my people go. You guys can participate with me. It's okay. We're, we're family here. We can do this. All right. So God set Israel free from Egypt, free from slavery, and into the wilderness they went. They were guided by God through a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. There was the parting of the Red Sea. There was bread falling from heaven. There was water flowing up from a rock. And lest we forget the Ten Commandments on Mount Sinai given to Moses. That was all in the first three months. Israel was wandering for 40 years. Well, the author of Hebrews knows this story very well. And he's writing to a congregation that is about 40 years after the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. These Christ followers were bombarded with opposition, both socially and politically. Their very livelihoods were at stake. They were losing hope. They were waning in confidence, and their patience was wearing thin. You can almost hear them saying, come on already. The Messiah should have brought this time to an end. I mean, heaven should have come by now. We know Judaism really well. I mean, maybe we, we missed it. Maybe we should just go back. Their spiritual lives were in a place of unrest. So the pastor of Hebrews writes to encourage his church, and he, he tells them, remember. You must reflect on your past. This is not the first time, remember. This is not the first time you faced opposition. This is not the first time that your faith has been put to the test. Do you remember your ancestors? They faced strong opposition. Remember the Canaanites? I mean, they were large, they were strong, they were many, and they were between your ancestors and God's promised land. And what did your ancestors do? Did they remember God's promise? Did they express gratitude for God's daily provision? Were they confident in God's strength? No. No, they lost faith in God. They lost sight of God's presence, and they turned back, never having experienced the rest of God. So the pastor says, don't lose faith. Don't forget. Don't lose sight of God's presence. This charge that he gives is found in the book of Psalms. If you want, we can turn there. Psalms chapter 95, verses 7 through 11 on page 479. If not, I'll just read it to you. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion, as on the day of testing in the wilderness, where your ancestors put me to the test, though they had seen my works for 40 years. Now, as one living in the 21st century where progress and productivity are our highest values, where the destination is more important than the journey, where getting there seems to be more important than being here, 
I hear that Israel was wandering around in the desert for 40 years, and I can't help but think to myself, what a huge waste of time. Like, come on, Moses, get it together. Like, get a sense of direction. I mean, where was the Waze app when you needed it? Maybe Moses was given more direction than we know. Do you remember that the Ten Commandments were given to Moses in the first three months of life in the wilderness? So what if, what if when God commanded, remember the Sabbath, what if we could see that as a gift of God's grace? What if when when we read that Israel was in the wilderness for 40 years, what if we could read that as a work of God's grace? grace. Stay with me here. Israel lived in slavery for over 400 years. What did they know? Like, what was the cadence of their culture? Productivity, right? Seven days a week, 365 days a year. No rest, no Sabbath, no stopping. Sound familiar? See, Israel was forced to live out of step with God, and they needed to learn a new dance. So the 40 years in the desert was maybe a needed space to practice living in step with God. So the the psalmist offers us a very serious warning. Refusing to listen to God's voice results in our hearts becoming hardened and ultimately leading you and I to missing out on God's Sabbath rest. Hebrews gives us the same equally serious warning. Don't forget what you've already heard. Remember that rest with God comes solely through Jesus Christ. Crave Christ's presence. Hold on to it. Don't let go. Rest is found in Him. This rest. This internal confidence that you are securely united with God through Jesus Christ. This rest that you are securely united with God through Jesus Christ. That knowing that you are at one with God is not just a heavenly rest, it's not just a rest that's on the other side of life, somewhere far distant in the future, but a rest that we can experience in the here and the now. Why, as 21st century Americans, are we so opposed to rest? Why do we resist it so much? We say things like, rest is what retirement's for. I'll rest when I die. If the church even mentions the word Sabbath, right? We, we quickly reject it. Oh, no, no, no. That's an Old Testament law that doesn't apply to us anymore. Hmm. Did you know that death from overwork is a real thing? In fact, it's so common in Japan that they actually have a word for it. They actually, they created a word for death from overwork, kuroshi. Kuroshi literally means death from overwork, death as a result of a lack of rest. So God who created us, created us with this need for rest, and yet we, for whatever reason, tend to resist it. So God has to command us to rest. 
not only commands, but God demonstrates, and I love this about God, that God never asks us to do something that God's not willing to do as well. And so we learn this, this rhythm of rest. Do you remember God's rhythm? It's found in Genesis, right? In the beginning, God created. God created, God produced, God worked. And do you remember the rhythm even in those days? That at the end of his day, at the end of God's work day, what did God do? He reflected. He looked back on what he accomplished that day and he said, oh, it's good. That's good. And it is good because work is good. But work is not everything. So on the seventh day, God rested. I mean, just imagine for a moment. Imagine all the work that could have gotten done if God just would have worked on that seventh day, right? I mean, what other worlds would he have created had he worked on that day? And although God could have, God didn't. It's not like God was tired. It's God. I mean, instead, God took one full day to demonstrate for us what it looks like to rest, to pause and reflect, to appreciate, to be satisfied and to be grateful with what we already have accomplished. God let go of what could be in order to appreciate what is. God says, come on, join me. Practice living into my rest. This rhythm of reflection is also found in the book of Psalms. Psalms chapter three, verses one through four say, Lord, how numerous are my enemies. Many attack me, many say about me, God will not deliver him. Selah. But you, Lord, are a shield that protects me. You are my glory and the one who restores me. To the Lord I cried out and he answered me from his holy hill. Selah. That word selah is thought by many scholars to mean pause, rest, reflect. And it's throughout the Psalms that this word selah creates this sort of, sort of Sabbath rhythm. Psalms 46, 10 through 11 says, and you know this, be still and know that I am God. I am exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Selah. Pause. Rest. Reflect. Sabbath is this grace-filled invitation to rest. God says, I want you to enter into my rest and that's not a bad invitation, is it? I mean, that means that we have six days for the farmer's market. We have six days for Trader Joe's, right? Six days for production, to prepare, and then one full day to simply just enjoy, to enjoy it, right? To enjoy friends and laughter, family and love, dinner and dessert, recreation and all of God's wonderful creation, do I really have to argue for Sabbath? I mean, really? Okay, if I must. It's a time to remember. To remember that your peace 
with God is secured through your faith with Jesus Christ. It's a time to be grateful. It's a time to be grateful for God's faithfulness and grateful for Christ's faithfulness. It's a time to rest. To rest now and live into that rest into the future. However, I believe if we focus too much on the what of Sabbath, its form, its function, its benefits, I believe that we're in danger of missing the point. Sabbath is more than a what. Sabbath is a who. Sabbath is a gift of being with God. It's not simply just a day off of work. It's a day off of work with God. It's reflecting on God's goodness, his provision, on what God has accomplished. Sabbath is a time to reflect and be grateful. To be grateful for the fact that you and I are united with God through the faithfulness of Jesus Christ. Sabbath is this rhythm of gratitude. And Jesus invites us into this rhythm when he says, Come, come to me all who are weary and carry heavy burdens and I will give you rest. This Sabbath rest in Christ is simply that. It is taking a day off of work so that you can rest with Christ in the here and the now. And maybe, maybe you're caring, maybe you're taking care of a spouse who's in recovery. Maybe you um, are doing the best you can to raise your kids or maybe you're single and you're just trying to make ends meet or actually trying to raise a family on your own. And you hear me talking about rest and you know how rest is great and all the benefits and it leads us to gratitude. That's wonderful, you say, Mike, but I don't have time to rest. I, I, I can't afford to rest. We can't afford not to. It may not look like your traditional Sabbath day. We might have to get a little bit creative. And my wife reminded me that maybe this Thanksgiving we get a little creative on how we do Sabbath. Maybe we take our cell phones. Oh, really? Is he going to say this? Maybe we take our cell phones and we have a nice, maybe you put a nice little basket out. You can decorate the basket however you want. It's a nice basket. And then you put your cell phone into the basket. Turn it off so your power doesn't wear down. And put it into another room and lock the door. (laughs) Maybe. I'm just throwing it out there. Just think about it. I'm not saying, it's it's not an Old Testament law, okay? Just relax. But we can't afford not to. We can't afford not to take rest. Our spiritual lives, our very physical lives, depend on it. So this week, when you find yourselves at the Thanksgiving table, let's make it a holiday of rest. Let's make it a holiday where we remember and be grateful. Let's focus on what we have rather than on what we lack. And if you must work, if you simply must work, Work hard to be present, to unplug, and to rest. 
Hebrews reminds us that we must warn each other every day while today is still today so that none of us will be deceived by sin and hardened against God. For if we are faithful to the end, trusting God just as firmly as when we first believed, we will share in all that belongs to Christ. We will share in God's rest. Rather than just talking about rest, I wanted us to experience rest this morning together. So in a moment, I'm going to walk you through a reflective exercise. And before you get up and walk out because you're freaking out right now, like, oh my goodness, what's he going to do? Just go with me. It's going to be good. We're going to taste this rest. And so over the next couple of minutes, I'm going to give you some space. I'm going to read a passage of scripture, and I'm going to step away and allow you just to be present with God. It's going to be about three minutes. And in a group this size, we can hardly handle 15 seconds. But I believe in you. I believe you can do this. So are you ready? It's simple. I'm going I'm to read a verse, and I'm going to give you some space to be with God. So whatever you have to do right now, let it out, okay? Take a deep breath, maybe. Breathe in and out. I saw some of you guys didn't do it. You guys looked at me like, not doing it. Not going with you. I don't care what you say. That's fine. If you must, close your eyes. That's great as well. I invite you to pause. Exodus 14, 14 says, the Lord will fight for you. You need only be still. The Lord will fight for you. You need only be still. Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Reflect. Do not worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank Him for all He has done.
God, we are grateful. We are grateful for your faithfulness. We are grateful for what your son has done for us through his death and his resurrection. That we can have confidence that we are at one with you. That we are united with you through Jesus Christ. Thank you for modeling for us this rhythm that leads us to gratitude. God, we want to be a grateful people, and yet we confess. We confess to you that our lives are full. Our tempo is fast. And we need to learn how to live into this rhythm of gratitude. We ask that you would be our teacher, that your spirit would guide us We thank you for this morning and for this time. We love you. Amen.